Kyle Whittingham is at the podium, his Zoom press conference. Let's listen in. Josh Furlong and Josh Newman. Kyle, how, how has the defense looked so far? I, I know that the pads haven't been on yet, but that's obviously a group where you uh, bring everybody back. Yeah, a lot of, lot of uh, returners there, talented up front, got a lot of uh, defensive linemen, quality defensive linemen, and uh, linebackers doing a good job. De- Devin Lloyd's the headliner there. We'll add uh, Ethan Calvert this summer to that group, which will make it even stronger. And then uh, secondary is much further ahead, obviously, uh, this year than we were last year at this time, where we were just getting a whole brand new group of guys ready to play this year. It's uh, guys that have had experience. So so defense is looking good, They're flying around and, and uh, playing a lot more man coverage uh, like we're used to and uh, should be a pretty good group when all is said and done. Josh Furlong, KSL.com, followed by Josh Newman. Yeah, Kyle, sticking with the, the defense on that man coverage, how much of that was necessitated, uh, like the zone packages because of, of COVID versus it's just kind of what you needed to do? And then how do you feel like uh, your group will be able to adapt to that man coverage? And what do you feel like you can do in this spring now that you didn't have that last year? Well, I'd say it was a combination of two things that you mentioned, an experience in, in the COVID situation, which led to us playing um, – more zone and we did a nice job playing zone coverage and and you can do that i mean you don't have to play man coverage that's just our choice and the way we choose to operate but uh thought our guys last year got uh, very productive in their zone drops and, and matchup zones and and uh but still that's not who we are we're traditionally and uh going forward we'll continue to be a man coverage team and that's uh something that that uh, as we said without with the restrictions, uh, practice restrictions we had with COVID uh, didn't allow us to, to work on that. And so we're excited to get back to, to who we are now. That being said, we had a really good year statistically last year. We were, you know, first or second in the league in most every major defensive category, which which uh, I didn't see coming when you had uh, the amount of newcomers that, that we had playing. But uh, that's a credit to our coaches and the players, the development and uh, how they handled their business. Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune, followed by David James. Hi, Kyle. Good morning. Good morning. Um, the NCAA came out earlier this week and said that they hope to, you know, potentially vote on the one-time transfer policy as soon as April. Um, you've sounded optimistic in the past that that would go through. Do you remain optimistic that that's going to go your way and that and that your transfers will be able to play right away? Yeah, we are, and I think the rest of the country is, is pretty much in that same camp. I don't see it not happening. You know, just when you say that, they could they could uh, pull a reversal on you. But but there's so many guys that have already transferred uh, with that premise in mind that it's going to be uh, immediate eligibility situation. I think they would have a uh, a real issue on their hands if they if they don't continue to move down that path and make it official here when the vote does happen. And so yeah, to answer your question, I, I see that. Being uh, the case and being uh, implemented um, when the vote occurs. And just to follow up, until that does happen, I mean, there is some uncertainty. Um, you know, does that do anything in terms of how many reps you give guys or, or what you're giving guys in practice? You know, the possibility that maybe they don't play in the fall? Not right now. What we're perceiving is if everyone's going to be eligible and, and developing everybody and, and uh, giving everybody the reps that uh, we feel they deserve and, and not paying. Uh, or not putting into the equation the, the transfer thing. That's I just I think it's it's uh, 
just too high of a percentage that will happen to, to alter what we're doing in practice. Next up, David James, followed by Bill Riley. Kyle, if Quinton Jackson doesn't win the starting quarterback job, does he have the skill set for you to put in a wildcat package? Could he be used that way? Absolutely. He's got the skill set to play uh, wildcat quarterback in about five or six other positions uh, on the field. But right now he is a quarterback and he's doing a nice job. We're only having a, you know, been here a short time and having a couple of practices. But, but uh, he certainly has the ability and the size, the speed, the quickness. I mean, 6'2 plus and 230 pounds. Uh, I haven't timed him yet, but my guess is he's, he's uh, somewhere in the 4'5", four, 4'6 four, range. And so he, had, he has a lot of uh, uh, skill set and uh, potential to play a lot of different things, like I said. But, but for right now, we're not doing anything but uh, working with him as a, just a standard quarterback and, and see what happens. Bill Riley from ESPN 700, followed by Steve Bartle from Mute Zone. Kyle, how are uh, the two new running backs, Pledger and, and Curry, assimilating themselves? And, and how stylistically do they fit within your system? Are they similar backs? Are they a little bit different? And, uh, and how have they kind of made that adjustment so far? Well, first of all, they're adjusting phenomenally. That Their work ethic, their attitude has been outstanding. That's uh, just uh, been a, a really good fit so far. Uh, they are different types of backs. Chris Curry is more of a a pounder. He's uh, 5'11", about 215, and more of a physical uh, inside runner. Uh, TJ is more of a, a scat back, more like, uh, I don't know who to compare him to, but he's not. he doesn't have quite the size that, that Chris has, and it's a little more di- a little different style running. Uh, what's been really pleasing is they are both very good in their blitz pickup and catching the ball out of the backfield. They seem to both be complete backs and be able to do everything we need them to. And then when you add Mackay Bernard to that mix, we think we're going to come away with a, a, a pretty good uh, position group at running back and, and a productive one. Steve Bartle from Zone, followed by Trevor Allen from kslsports.com. Coach, a lot of the talk about the freshmen last year revolved around Clark Phillips and Nate Ritchie, but you also signed – um, some really impressive defensive linemen in Ben Fillinger and Xavier Carlton. What's what's their progress been like uh, over the year? They've continued to get better and uh, bigger as well. Uh, ben and X are both over 260 when we got them there in the 240 range. And so they've added weight, good weight. Uh, their knowledge of the scheme has obviously increased. And they're both, uh, so far, doing a nice job. We're just barely getting into it right now. But, but they're much improved from where they were last fall. And you're right, we had uh, several guys in that class that uh, we think are going to be uh, very good players for us down the road. Fabian Marks, another kid, the, the corner. Uh, Zamaya Vaughn, the, the safety turn corner for now. And uh, among others, the offensive linemen that we really like. So, so we think that that class was uh, going to be uh, very productive and end up being a, a really good class when all is said and done. Next up, Trevor Allen. This is more of a uh, off-topic question, but uh, didn't get a chance to ask you it on Monday. Um, so o- over the off-season, uh, Urban Meyer was, was named the head coach of the Jaguars. Quentin Ganther joined him as an offensive assistant, and then uh, Brian Johnson was the quarterback coach of the Eagles. Just talk about uh, of what it means to have have those guys make that leap to the NFL. Well, excited to see what Urban will do in the NFL. I mean, that's a new challenge for him. It's an arena that he hasn't been in, and uh, it's. Uh, you know, a leap, uh, 
not a leap of faith, but it's it's a, a situation where uh, it's all new because it is a, a much different uh, situation in the NFL than it is in college. So uh, excited to see, and I'm sure he'll do very well. I got no doubt about that. But uh, and then uh, Brian Johnson, uh, I think the NFL is a great fit for him. His temperament, the way he handles himself, uh, his style of coaching, I think is very well suited for for the NFL, and and uh, he's going to be. Uh, working with uh, the Hertz kid. And I think that's a, that's a good uh, pairing there. And then uh, who's the other one? We talked about Urban, Brian, and you mentioned one. Quinton Ganther. Q. Oh, sure. Q. How could I forget Q? Yeah. Q was doing a great job at Weber state uh, for several years. Uh, he was a outstanding coach for, for Jay Hill and the, and the Wildcats. And, and uh, I think he's got the right mentality as well. And having had his experience in the NFL, he knows what it's all about. And he was an NFL vet of several years and knows exactly uh, how that league runs and how that uh, you know how things operate. So I think he'll be a real asset to Urban. Josh Furlong, KSL.com. Hey Kyle, with with your depth at quarterback right now, are are all quarterbacks live, or or are they being held out? And are there any other position groups where guys are being held out? Maybe like uh, senior type or upperclassmen type players. Well, so far we haven't had the pads on, so there's been no decision to make in that regard. But uh, we'll, we think we're going to make the QBs live at some point throughout spring. It won't be right away. And, uh, you know, we have six quarterbacks in the program that we really like. Uh, obviously, Cam is not practicing yet, as we've talked about, and won't be practicing at all through spring. Uh, but uh, we're going to see a little bit of live action, especially with the younger guys. We got, we got the two seniors, and, well, Cam's not a senior. The two older kids with Cam and Charlie Brewer, and then the four freshmen. And so for sure, the four freshmen are going to get uh, live reps and see what they can do. As far as other guys, uh, you know, Devin Lloyd, Mika Tafua, we got some guys that have played a lot of good football for us that really don't uh, have anything else to prove as far as a scrimmage situation. So we'll make those decisions when the, uh, when the scrimmages arise, which will start uh, towards the end of next week. But uh, as far as the QBs, yeah, we're going to have some live work for the young guys and, and we'll, see, uh, we'll see about Charlie. Our final question will come from Steve Bartle. Coach, you've also got a number of early enrollees in, from this class uh, that have joined the program. I think it's the most it's the most I've ever seen uh, early uh, enroll early. What's your first impression of the uh, the true freshmen that are up there now? Very very positive, and you're right. I, I think this is the most that we've ever had. Uh, at the semester break and, and being available for spring ball. And, and they're all really doing a good job. Um, we're excited about the class. We're going to add another half a dozen, well, actually probably eight, eight more in the summer to that class that we uh, feel really good about as well. And so we think we had a, an outstanding uh, recruiting cycle the last uh, two or three. And uh, we're hoping that starts to manifest in the, in the year, you know, this right away in these coming years. And and uh, that's what it's all about. And if you recruit well, then usually you're going to have a chance to be pretty good if, you're, if your player development is where it should be. And so we're, we're excited about uh, the possibilities uh, coming up in the next few years. And there is Kyle Whittingham finishing his media availability Mondays and Fridays here on The Zone during spring football. There's a wide range of questions right there, PK. A little, a little different than Monday when everybody got their first crack at him in, in several weeks. 
Man, it's so much positive <laughs> at this point. I'm shocked if they don't go 12 and 0. It's all good. Everybody's undefeated. <laughs> they don't even have the pads on. Incoming freshmen look awesome. They had a great recruiting class. The defense is solid. Everyone's returning. Uh, Jaquez, uh, how do you say his name? Jackson? Jaquindon Jackson. Play, he could play all 12 positions on offense. I was going through five or six <laughs> positions. What does that leave? I mean, defensive Center. back, wide receiver, running back, quarterback. I can get to four. Kicker. Tight end. He'd have to put on. No, he could play tight, tight end. Get him in a weight room. He's a good sized kid. Yeah, he is listed geez. at two thirty. This is uh, like pretty much every program in the country right now. This time of year, you're all excited. You're back out on the field, and especially after last season, you know we've never literally, obviously, had a season like that. And it, at this point, it looks like they're on track to play all their games on schedule. Who knows when we get there? And, Keep our fingers crossed and pray and bless yourself or whatever you guys do to, to have that happen and take the precautions necessary, blah, blah, blah. So I can understand the excitement, particularly coming off uh, last season the way that was for the Pac-12, no less, you know, BYU, in uh, their tremendous wisdom surged uh, and carried on and got in all but one of the games uh, that they would normally get, right? If they had a bowl game, they would play 13, and they played 12. So that was absolutely awesome. But for the Pac-12, you're playing four and five games. So that was crazy. So I understand the optimism going forward here, and and particularly why not for Utah. So everything's positive going on with the Utes right now. Whether that turns out to be the case remains to be seen, but uh, most especially we hope we'll be able to evaluate it week to week. So I understand why they would be excited. There's really no injuries to speak of, and they're just kind of going, not going through the motions now, but obviously they're not hitting with the pads not being on with the acclimation thing that you have to do. So exciting times. A lot of positivity exactly the way I want it. (laughs) Nobody buys that, but thank you. Okay, well, so is the positivity I'm not selling it. How about the positivity around the defense being warranted? As Kyle said, had so many new guys, he didn't think they'd be first or second in all the statistical categories. Now, as you point out, depending on the team, it was four, five, or six games. It was five for the Utes. So it's not a nine-game sample, but a five-game sample isn't nothing, and there should be more progress. Guys should continue to improve and all that stuff. Maybe that's a little positive, assuming guys are going to get better. But we've seen enough out of the defense. The questions really are on offense. With two receivers leaving, with the guy who won the job last year hurt, the guy who the two guys who played after he got hurt gone, an enormous question mark there. Question marks at running back. Question marks at receiver. Tight end's the only skill possession position where there's any certainty. So that's where if you if you want to slow down the positivity and just hang a bunch of question marks on the wall and stare at them, that might be the way to go. Well, if you want to bring up question marks, sure, I understand that. You know, I, I would put Covey and uh, Solomon Enos in there as solids as far as them at their receiver position. So they're not completely barren and have nothing there. I wouldn't say that as much. And with Keithy being as versatile as he is, you can move him around. Uh, so sort of, you know, the hybrid in between tight end and uh, receiver wide out, you know, he's you can move him around a little bit. So they do have some 
weapons at the receiver position. But losing those two guys is a blow, no doubt about it. It's a blow right now, whether it's a blow in the fall and that next man up spiel that all coaches and all programs talk about. So we'll see if uh, people emerge. Jalen Dixon obviously coming back after uh, being off last season, and we know what he did, although he only, it seemed like he only did it – well, he did it the best when his buddy Shelley was at quarterback. seemed like for whatever reason those guys, I believe they played together in high school, he looked for uh, Dixon more. But he is somewhat of a not, a – not a completely, totally proven weapon, but he has some experience. Uh, running back, yeah. That, uh, what, I'm, what I'm going with on running back is Utah's tradition of having great running backs. That, right, that's where I'm at right now because I've got a freshman kid uh, who was down on the depth chart a little bit, understandably, because Ty Jordan, as great as Utah running backs have been, and they have been, so many of them, I had never seen a freshman that good. Unless I'm missing somebody. You're not. <laughs> I had never seen not, If you put the someone, qualifier freshman. Yeah. I mean, Zach freshman. Moss. Zach freshman. Moss was awesome at the end, but you know, at the start, yeah. he was running the wrong way at the goal line, right? I thought I saw something, but he didn't, and he got stuffed to Cal. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so and, and he is a real high watermark. I mean, that guy played at a high level for a long time for the Utes, but he didn't do it as a freshman. No, I don't know. I don't know that I've seen anybody in the state. Did Luke Sk- Staley? Luke Staley, who I Luke think was, was just Luke absolutely was, awesome. Luke was really Unbelievable. good. That would probably be, if that's, that would probably be the bar, and I'd have to go back and look, because at this point the whole career blends together. Yeah. But I think he was good right out of the gate. Yeah, he was awesome. Just absolutely awesome. Yeah. Best runner I've seen in this state. He was a part-time starter as a freshman and just kind of took over the job and was the guy right. from then that, on. That, that seems to me what I remember. Uh, and then blossom into just a one. Does Jamal Williams runner. enter the chat at all in this? Yeah, I have to go back and look, but and it's just so Ty Jordan is so fresh in my memory. Sure, that it just seems like wow. And and the thing is, he, he did it with limited carries against SC, and then everybody that week we got to get him the ball more, and they got him the ball more, and he was just unbelievable. Well, obviously we know what that tragedy happened, and that what the situation is there. So now they've got. One kid, Bernard, and then they got two kids who left other programs. And usually, in most cases, you're leaving other programs because you're not getting the ball enough. Now, that doesn't mean they can't be good here. And they, maybe they can be great. But right now, it's a question mark. And so, I don't know. And, I, and I'm not going to be able to see it in spring because everything is closed this year. So, and I'm sure they're not going to open up fall camp. Uh, and that in that way, so we're going to have to wait and see. We can I can talk to people though and, and find out stuff. But then we'll all the great thing about it is we'll all see it on Saturdays. We don't need to be there at five thirty on Saturdays to make the evaluation of what we see on our five thirty on weekdays to make the evaluation of what we see on Saturdays. That's that's the test. We'll be able to grade it right there. But I'd have to think right now that's somewhat of a question mark because of what happened. Now, if Ty Jordan was returning, then it would be zero question mark. Probably in those other two kids, I don't know if they'd be there. And really, when you think about it, would they have transferred to Utah if Ty Jordan was there? Because you were going to feed him the ball as much as you possibly could the next two seasons. He's gone, unfortunately. And now what is to remain? Not sure. I don't know. I don't know how anybody could know. I think the thing with the running game and the history of the running game is so good, and it really comes down to 
how good is the old line going to be and how quickly is that all going to come together? You know, the, the evolution of Nick Ford playing everywhere continues. Now he looks like he's going to be the center. Yeah, he's uh, going to be, yeah. So, you know, what is, what is that going to look like? How quickly can they be good? How quickly can they be very good? How quickly can they be great? Can they be great? You know, can they get to that level? And running backs, as much as their individual talent matters, and it certainly does, <laughs> they got to have a line in front of them. And the better the line gets, the better they're going to look. Every running back looks good when he gets to the second level without getting touched. You're five yards downfield, you haven't been touched, and your, your stats are going to look a lot better. It doesn't matter who you are. You can be journeyman or, you know, rising star or whatever. You're going to look better. So and what you say about the O-line, that's, uh, you know, TBD and, and we'll all get to see in September. Uh, yeah, well, they got they got some returners there, so I'm expecting them to be at least halfway decent, maybe even better than that. Uh, I, I don't I don't think that that's going to be a major issue. I, I can't say that for sure, but I don't think so. And my guess is they'll find a way to run the ball because they always do. You're yeah. a Kyle Winningham football team. You can't run the ball. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that would just <laughs> be a shocker. Yeah, next. I, I don't know that that's ever happened. They just have an assembly line of running backs over and over, and they got the kid out of Florida who's coming in, and maybe he takes it uh, by storm. Because at this time last year, we weren't saying, oh, man, Ty Jordan's going to be the guy. No, we were saying uh, Wilmore and, and Brumfield, and looking like, okay, you lose Zach Moss, obviously you're going to have a little bit of a hit. Turns out, actually, they didn't have any hit. Now, there was a short season, so maybe over the course of the long term they might have. But actually, when you look at it, the running game got better. I mean, by the time they were playing Colorado, the running game was as good as it's ever been. (laughs) Crazy to say, but that's Utah football for you. So I think in some respects, I am not going to doubt until they give me reason to doubt. All right, DJ and PK, more to come. You've heard from David Locke. You've heard from Kyle Woodingham. Ben Bolch covers UCLA basketball, beat writer for the LA Times. UCLA's playing BYU Saturday night in prime time. You may have seen the Bruins. We're going to try and get him, and he, he's given uh, he's got some stuff going on, and so he well he was up very late. He was so, uh, but Yach thinks we might be able to get him next, and if not, we might be able to get him at nine o'clock. So. Jason, Jason, Ben out there to get a lowdown on the BYU UCLA matchup. Stay with us, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 the zone. March Madness is here, and now it's time to put that college basketball knowledge to the test. It's the Zone Bracket Challenge, where you can compete against the Zone hosts as well as Zone listeners. Oh my goodness! Log on now to 1280zonebracket.com to fill out your bracket for a chance to win a Nordic Track X22i bike. Valued at over $2,000 as well as other great prizes. It's the Zone Bracket Challenge, going on now at 1280zonebracket.com. Presented by the store, SNS Roofing, Bullfrog Spas, and Elite Works. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're brought to you in part by Zero Res. Dirt, dust, dander, and allergens are no match for Zero Res carpet cleaning. Want the contaminants gone? Call Zero Res. Right now, just $33 per room to get your carpet Zero Res clean, but minimums apply. Call them at 801-288-9376 or schedule online Zero Res carpet cleaning. All right, we're going to talk with uh, Ben Bolts, UCLA Bruins beat writer for the LA Times. At some point, possibly momentarily, Yach shrugs and says, we'll see. They won last night. They beat Michigan State in overtime. 
And PK, we've seen them in the Pac-12 all year, but as they have evolved with injuries and all that, they aren't the biggest UCLA team you've ever seen. They are not the most athletic UCLA team you've ever seen, but they're good, and they don't beat themselves. So it feels like if BYU plays well, they could certainly win this game. If they make mistakes, if they come out nervous because it's the NCAA tournament and they don't handle the ball, UCLA's going to jump all over them. I'm thinking. I know you are. You're debating. But I just look at them, I think, they're well coached. They don't make mistakes and don't beat themselves. But this is not the biggest, most athletic UCLA team you've ever seen. And you can probably put some of that on injuries. And also the coach being early on, let's see who he recruits, especially when he has a little tourney success. Yeah, I think the 64 Bruins were the biggest, tallest that I've ever seen. I really don't think you think that. That's not true. <laughs> Walt Hazard and Gail Goodridge. It was probably the <laughs> least guys. athletic, smallest of all those Wooden's championship teams, and let's not break that down. But you did uh, it on purpose. You know you did. That was very uh, well done. When you have uh, Greg Lee and Bill Walton teaming up in 73, uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't yeah. know to top that. Bring Pete Turgovich back. Uh, I think this was the best game I've seen them play. You know, I've seen, I, obviously, I watch a lot of Pac 12 basketball during the season, and, mm-hmm. and I thought, man, that was just a – it was really, really an impressive effort by these guys. Let's bring in Ben Bolts, UCLA Bruins beat writer for the L.A. Times. Ben, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. Uh, just as you were coming on, we were talking about the UCLA-Michigan State game, and PK just said, having watched a lot of UCLA basketball this year, he thought that was the best the Bruins have played this year. You are the beat writer and have to watch them all. What do you think? Uh, but I would say definitely during the comeback. They outstayed by 30 points. They had a pretty complete game against Utah not too long ago uh, that I would say was probably better than that. But certainly uh, an in-state tournament game against a very tough opponent uh, to come back when it looked like you're buried in the first half. It might have been the gutsiest. I would say maybe it was the gutsiest game and showing of the year for UCLA. A lot of emotion in that game that they expended. Do you have any concern with all the energy and emotion that they would be able to rally on a quick turnaround? Um, well, I mean, this was a team that was, you know, kind of due, so to speak. They'd, they'd had those four crushing losses uh, when they were ahead. Uh, and just kind of flipped the script, right, where they were down big. I think they were down 14 or down 11 at halftime. Uh you know, nobody was really giving them a chance. Shots weren't falling except for Jaime Hawkins, who had an amazing game. Uh, so, yeah, it was, it was impressive that, uh, you know, they were able to do that. Now they're going to have to, as you, you alluded to, short turnaround just 48 hours here before that, or even less than 48 hours before that uh, next game against BYU. So the big question today is the status of uh, Johnny Juzang. He really came through in overtime with two two big shots to give UCLA that lead, and then uh, went down with another ankle injury. Uh, he missed a recent game against USC with it, that same ankle hurting him. Uh, good sign for UCLA. I think he was kind of moving around and celebrating with them after the game, but he had to basically be carried off the court. Uh, it looked really bad there for a while. So today we'll get an update on that, and that'll be a big factor going into the game. 
The Cougars obviously have a lot of size, and Harms at 7'3 is, uh, is a hard matchup for a lot of people. People have defended him different ways, and sometimes he does you know, disappear and not put his imprint on games. Other times he's really impactful. Do you think the whole defense collapses? Do you think they try to play him straight up? Have they been at a have they had to face anybody like this? Is there anything to go on? Yeah, they they faced a couple seven footers. You know, Evan Mobley for USC seven foot not not quite as big, but uh, you know, they I think what they're gonna have to do though, and I'm certainly I'm not Nick Cloney, but uh, I don't think they can let other three point shooters and, and, and uh Others beat them, so I would imagine they would try to maybe go straight up. You know, they make it. Sometimes they have doubled in the post before, but I know that they don't want to get beat at the three-point line uh, as well. So maybe they'll, maybe they'll start out one way and, and see how it goes and, and adjust accordingly. But you know, this is a UCLA team that doesn't have a lot of length uh, in the post, uh, particularly with Jalen Hill out, and they're far and away their best rim protector. So. That will be interesting to see. Do they double down there, or do they, do they play straight up and uh, and try to take away three point line? And as I watch that game, you spoke of the two guys who played so well offensively, and you look for well, can they repeat that? And we'll see what Juzang's position is. But if I'm looking for guys who can give me more offensively against the Cougars, I think I can point to Campbell. He didn't really have a big time game. Can I expect more from him offensively against BYU? Yeah, he's been stuck in kind of an extended funk here where he really hasn't made a big impact on the last handful of games. He did make a a huge three-pointer as part of that comeback, uh, but other than that, he was very, very quiet, and then I think it's an astute observation on your point that you know he's going to have to be a lot more involved offensively for, for UCLA to win this game. Um, you know, it's interesting. They they got those two huge games from uh, from Heine Hawkins and, uh, and Johnny Juzang and, and maybe a few scattered contributions from other guys, but nothing really sustained. Uh, and that's, not, that's probably not going to be a winning point against BYU. I think they're going to need to have, you know, three or four guys in solidly in double figures to win. You know, you're the beat writer, so you're around the team, but in the Zoom era, you're not actually around the team the way you would be in any other given year. And I wonder if you have a good read on um, emotionally how these guys are. Do they turn the page on a win and it's on to the next game? Do they sit thinking about the last game too long and not get ready for the next one? What kind of roller coaster are these guys likely to ride, if one at all? Yeah, you know, I got to give them credit. They were pretty resilient during that uh, stretch I talked about recently where they had four losses, where they, they could have won all four games. And I felt like they did kind of turn the page and, and move on and play well to at least start the next game. But, uh, you know, Mick Cronin kind of acknowledged after that game that he, he, he really thought they needed that, 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 that win to kind of put all that behind them. And, and now they've got their confidence back. They can just kind of get back to playing basketball, worry about closing the season with, you know, five consecutive kind of disasters. Uh, not Try not to overstate that there, but uh, yeah, it, it's important and, and now I think they will have kind of a spring in their steps, so to speak, uh, going into this BYU game. Yeah, you you look at this season, man. They've had to deal with a lot, you know. A couple, I think they started what 
12 and 2, something like that. And then they had a couple of injuries, and then they lose the four in a row, and they get beat early in the tournament. And then with the tremendous rally. As far as being on an emotional level, this team has been facing just about all sorts, uh, everything you can imagine, all sorts of stuff this season. Is it easy for them now to just roll with it? Because it's like, well, we've already been through the worst. Yeah, I think so. It's a good point. I mean, you know, they lost the guys considered the best player, Chris Smith, on the final day of uh, 2020, but now the knee injury, and then Jalen Hill, as I alluded to earlier, leaves personal reasons in February. And that really changed a lot because that, that put, uh, changed the whole defensive rotation. They got Jaime Hawkins setting power forward at 66. Uh, you can see how that's kind of worn him down. Obviously, he had a great game the other night, but it's been games where he has not really put his imprint on the game because I think he's beaten up so much defensively. Uh, so all credit to him with that, that big showing the other night. But you're right, it's been, a, it's been a roller coaster season. I mean, they could have easily started the season 0-2. They needed triple overtime to beat Pepperdine, and they were facing an 0-2 start, and they win their first eight uh, Pi-12 games, uh, and it looks like they're rolling, and then, you know, those bumps start happening. So a very resilient group, and, uh, you know, I think they will be in a good place mentally uh, come Saturday night. For so many years, we've seen so much pressure on UCLA and how they perform in the NCAA tournament. Mick Cronin's pretty pretty early on in his tenure. Is there a lot of pressure on him this year, or given a couple injuries and how early he is in his tenure, is it not that big a deal? Or is it always a big deal at UCLA, and there is a lot of heat on him? No, I don't think there's any heat uh, on him at all. I mean, I, I think he was basically in the running for Pi-12 Coach of the Year until the final uh, day of the regular season, if they beat SC and Oregon loses to Oregon State, uh, you know, UCLA Pac-12 regular season champion with uh, a shorthanded roster. So, obviously, you know, fans weren't happy with the way the regular season and the Pac-12 tournament went, uh, or the way the, Pac- the, the regular season ended, I should say. But, uh, you know, I think this this game, uh, getting back in the win column in the NCAA tournament, uh, it's a huge first step for him at UCLA. They've got some talent, uh, really high-end talent coming in the next two years. they get the top player in California uh, coming in each of the next two years. So I think that's when you know, those, those expectations and that pressure will start to ratchet up on Mick Cronin. But I, I read the fan base right now is that they're fully uh, on board with what he's doing. They shot 50% from three against Michigan State. Is that something you're confident that they can repeat? Uh, no, that's a little bit of an outlier. This is, uh, I, I think statistically it is it's one of the better three-point shooting teams in the, in the Pac-12, but uh, they can be pretty streaky. Uh, Tiger Campbell ma- making that three was huge. Uh, you know, Jaime Hawkins and, and Johnny Juzang were, were also kind of on fire from there. Uh, you have to excuse my GPS in the background here. I'm driving to, to Indianapolis as we speak. Uh, but... Um, yeah, it, it's it's. I don't know about fifty percent, but I think they can. Uh, I think they can shoot at a fairly high level uh, and, and try to keep that game close because they're going to have to, right? I mean, Nick Cronin says they have to make shots, but that they're not uh, one of these great defensive teams. So that that'll be a key thing to watch. So, what are one of the speaking of key things to watch? What are one of the one or two things you're going to watch early in the game to know if the Bruins are on track and how this thing might play out? I think I'm going to be watching their defense a lot. I think, you know, BYU, I watched that 
uh, Gonzaga uh, uh, tournament game there a week or so ago, and I was really impressed by them. If they come out with that kind of start against UCLA, I think they can, they can really bury UCLA early. So I think UCLA, they can't fall behind like they did against Michigan State uh, and count on coming back again. I think if that happens, again, uh, it's going to be a very long night for UCLA. So I think they have to be uh, right there at halftime, uh, you know, and not have a double-digit deficit that they're going to have to come back from. Ben Bolts, UCLA Bruins beat writer for the LA Times on his uh, on his way to Indy. Ben, thanks for joining us, and thanks for giving us a little peek ahead to UCLA and BYU. All right, looking forward to the game. Thank you so much. Yep, thank you. All right, UCLA and BYU, primetime Saturday night. PK seems yeah. like an opportunity. You've covered oh, a lot yeah, of these yeah. matchups. You've yeah. been there. There have been a lot of matchups where you knew that athletically it was going to be an uphill battle for BYU. This doesn't feel quite as intimidating. doesn't mean they're going to win the game. They could lose it. But it doesn't feel like there's a big hill to climb like there were in some of the other matchups they drew where there's a kind of feeling like, well, they got a puncher's chance, but this is going to be really hard. This feels a little different. I would agree with that. I would equate it to uh, Steve Cleveland's two years. His second, he made three NCAA first uh, appearances. The first one, you know, when they won the conference was 20 years ago, and they just were celebrating. It was such a monumental uh, accomplishment, if you recall, right? I think they beat New Mexico in the final, and the program had sucked, and they got he got them there, and that was it. They were like these Big West, Big Sky teams and those other conferences on the other side of the country. You, we got to the NCAA tournament. It's a smashing success, no matter what happens. And they went out and got smoked by Cincinnati, right? Well, then, a couple years later, they're in a much better position as a program and a spot, right? So they play uh, Syracuse and UConn, or UConn and Syracuse. I'm not sure which order it was, right? Big name programs, much exactly like this program with the Bruins are a big name program. I mean, they're probably never going to come close to recapturing John Wooden, but they're still a big name program, right? Well, BYU now, comparing to those two BYU teams, it's not about just being here. They've known for a good while. This program under Mark Pope, he's two for two as far as establishing it as an NCA program. Clearly, they would have gone last year, right? So with that in mind, expectations are to win. So I see a lot of similarities. You're going up against a storied program, but you feel very confident about your ball club, and it's not just happy to be there, and that's where you're settling. You're not settling for the happy to be there like Steve Cleveland's first team was 20 years ago when they went in and got beat by Cincinnati. And if you recall... Both of those games, UConn and Syracuse, came right down to the end. Mm -hmm. And BYU didn't come out ahead on either of those games, but they were right there. That's what I think will happen. I'm not saying that they won't come out ahead, they won't win the game tomorrow. That's not the point. The point is setting up to what I expect. BYU is not just happy to be here. And they have an opportunity to win this game. And it prop- I wouldn't be surprised if it came right down to the end. And I, I really think, as you said either uh, earlier with Ben here in the interview, Harms, man, go to work. Get, get going, man. Try your best to be dominant. Even if you don't have the skill set, 
try your hardest to be dominant because you you can really make an impact on this game. There's no reason why you don't. And then of course the BYU shooters they're going to have to have to going to have to have success from the three. And that's not really uh, uh, the Bruins game as much, but for the Cougars they're going to need to do that. So I'm excited to see this game. BYU's a three-and-a-half-point favorite in this game. They've set the line now after UCLA's win over Michigan State, and the over-under is set at 138, so that means Vegas, that would be the equivalent of a 70-68 to 68 game. You know, first, first team to 70 wins, which, given the pace these teams play at and the way they've defended, I would think if you get to 70 points, you probably do win this game. UCLA's in the 300s in terms of pace of play. They play very slow. And BYU similar this year is much right. slower than they have been in the past. Right, we've seen like the sixty-five fifty-one game with St. Mary's, that kind of stuff. So, all right, there it is, DJ and PK. Stay with us more in a moment. Ninety-seven-five at twelve eighty, the zone. Got a poll question up on Utah State and Texas Tech. Who's going to win that game? That game tips off in three hours. Hit us up, at David DJ James. Vote away, DJ and PK. It's ninety-seven-five and twelve eighty, the zone. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're brought to you in part by Mark Miller. DJ and PK in the morning brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. Got the poll questions up this morning. NCAA tournament. Local team's going to be one and done. They're going to advance. 54% of you are picking Utah State to beat Texas Tech. Be a mild upset. Aggies have been uh, four-point underdogs there. BYU a slight favorite over UCLA. Just put that poll question up. Is BYU going to beat UCLA and go to the round of 32 for the first time since Jimmer? Yep, 64% of the vote. Nope, 36% of the vote. Odds makers have BYU as a slight favorite. It's notoriously difficult to pick this stuff, PK, because it's one game. Somebody gets hot. Somebody gets in foul trouble. Everything changes. Do you have a strong gut feeling about either one of these, or these are the kind of NCAA games you want to see because you figure with five minutes left, we're really not going to know for sure who's going to win. There's going to be some tension and some drama. I think that's what's going to be the case. The latter, as you say, I believe the seeds are irrelevant. Now, Jazang is out, and he got hurt late, and they did help him off the floor. Uh, his loss would make a significant difference and give a huge advantage to BYU. But he was involved in the celebration uh, in terms of coming out. You know, they kind of run towards half court a little bit if they're down at the other end when that game was over. And he had a smile on his face. He's moving around a little bit. So I'm going to go on the assumption that he plays. But this situation with the NCAA tournament, it's really unlike anything we have in sports because you ride these emotional highs and lows during the season unless you're Gonzaga and it's been just exclusively a high, right? But the rest of the teams, or in the, in the case of the, the two local teams, Utah State and BYU, there's a lot of emotion going in, both of them losing in the conference final, but knowing that they're going to get an NCAA bid. At least I thought uh, Utah State was going to get in, and they did get in. And then yet you, get, you take the floor, and then when it ends, it is so sudden, and there is such an empty feeling if you're on those teams, and you try to avoid that at all costs. It's like, it's almost to the point where you try to avoid that feeling more than the feeling of winning (laughs) because it is such a brutal feeling, and it comes so quick, 
You know, at least in a, in, a, in a series or in a Super Bowl or an NFL playoff or whatever, there's a buildup for a whole week toward it, and you know that that's going to be the final game, blah, blah, blah. And in the seventh game, if you get to that in basketball, you've had two weeks. Well, here, you don't have that. You know, you sit and you sit and you wait, and then you get out on the floor, and then it could end. So for the Cougars and Aggies, they're going to try not to have it end. They're going to try to extend it. And I believe if both teams are on, there's really no reason why they don't win. And maybe I'm not giving Texas Tech credit. Now, I have to be fully acknowledging that I don't see them play much. Whereas the Pac-12, with the Bruins, I see them play a lot. And I know they've had a couple guys uh, taken out of their lineup here. So, and obviously we watch BYU a ton. So, I really think the Cougars have an opportunity. And I think it's important for them because there's been a lot of positive emotion and enthusiasm that Mark Pope has brought. But we got this morning, we're talking about the Jazz, right? You read some of the comments on Facebook, and Mm -hmm. it was basically to paraphrase on some of them, paraphrase on some of them. Oh, same old Jazz, here we go. Mm -hmm. Well, I think if the Cougars lose in the first round... It's going to be, all right, same old Cougars, here we go. And even to that extent for the Aggies, because they haven't won a tournament game in a long time. So I think it's important for the establishment of both programs to break through and get a win, particularly BYU, because you are higher-seeded if that means something to you. Yeah, and I think that, uh, and this is kind of looming out there, we can get to it next week and see how it plays out, but I don't know how much Utah State can build on this because there's just tons of speculation about, you know, Craig Smith getting a a Power 5 job, Minnesota's open, and he's got roots there, and he's coached in that area in South Dakota, and so even if they do win, if he takes that job or if he takes another one, then can you build on it? I think it's more what you said for Utah State. They haven't won in 20 years, so winning a tournament game, regardless of what happens next, is a big deal, and it needs to be celebrated in the Cache Valley like the big deal it is, because it's hard to win these tournament games, and it's hard to win them when you're not in a Power 5 league, and you're probably not seated well, and sometimes you're seated poorly, and this is this is doable. This isn't you're, you're right, the, the history of a 6-11 game or 7-10, 8-9, those are all doable matchups. You know, it's way more about the matchups than it is about the seating. Uh, you know, and with Mark Pope, you know, can they build on it? What will it mean for him? We know he's going to go back into the transfer portal. <laughs> we just, we know he is. And so, is he able to get a different type of player going into the transfer portal if they win a game or two in this tournament? Yes. How much can he can he build off of that? And oh, wow. I don't know if you've seen it this morning. You may have seen it on social media last night. Uh, they were getting ready because everybody's getting tested, right? And so they were getting ready to go in the room to test, and they had a little – and he's running and jumping and bumping guys, and everybody's got some dance or some move going down the line. It's all high energy, and they're screwing around and having yeah, a good yeah. time. Jim sh- Rome's going nuts retreating it. Yeah. Right, and sure enough, ESPN's playing it this morning. And so – you know, the guys who are transferring are seeing this. And you can say they're just screwing around. It's not even the day of the game, and it doesn't matter. But in some ways, it probably does. You know, It gets BYU's name out there. It looks like, oh, I'm in a program where the coaches are yelling at me, and I'm not playing, and that place is fun, and Mark's going to tell them how much they're going to play. And They're using that moniker, the best locker room in America, and trying to back it up, obviously, with what they're doing. Well, how about a locker room that leads to winning in the NCAA? That would be be very beneficial. (laughs) You you can do that. They're not talking about, yeah, we're the 
challenging for the Sweet 16 every year. Herm Edwards is always telling us, yeah, we recruit nationally because you suck at recruiting locally. <laughs> so, you know, sell what you got, right? Right. And they, the, the Cougars can't sell uh, the NCAA tournament success. So I don't think Mark Pope is going anywhere in the short term. Right. And yeah, I think this is huge for him because if he gets an opportunity to win a ball game, then he's got a big time selling card. And we'll see about if they win the ball game, then the second game, uh, uh, what would be on Monday, I guess. And mm-hmm. we'll worry about that then if it comes to pass. So go ahead and sell it because then you could sell. Yeah, geez, look at we we would have won last year. Hey, come on, that team was better. I, I won. I, I got to the uh, round of thirty-two with this team. Son, come here, man. Yep. They let the crowds back in. We got one of the best student sections in the country, and overall attendance, we on a, a, a bad game, we're putting in fourteen thousand, and this is a yeah. big deal on our campus. He's got a lot to sell. The only thing he doesn't have to sell right now is an NCAA tournament win. Go get one, and I think that opens up even more of a transfer market too. And he's already. He's he's a winner in the transfer market. To, to get Harms to come and turn down the schools that he did and to get Barcelo like he did, that's just huge. And then this last season, Averett, obviously, big time, man. Absolutely. And and he's got a ton of enthusiasm and charisma. He just does. He's one of these guys that it's fun to cover because he just treats everybody like they're their, his best buddy and all that stuff. Well, you got to back it up. And don't fall flat here. Big, big game. And for the Aggies, yeah, your program is celebrating the Cash Valley, and I would extend all the way up to Preston, Idaho. There it is. Go beyond. Go across the border celebration. You know, like you used to do when the age was lower in Tijuana. Yeah, we know what you were, what you were doing there. We won't say anything, but we get it. We know what was going on when you crossed the border. It's like, you know, what happens in Tijuana? Where do you think Vegas got that expression? Well, they got it from DJ in Tijuana, obviously. So go ahead and celebrate wildly. And you're probably going to lose Craig Smith. I had a, an Aggie fan reach out to me yesterday, longtime listener of ours, it's, it's a lady, and she's saying, can we possibly keep him? Well, I would probably say no, no. because money yeah. talks. Yep. And this guy's dynamic in his own right here. And so will he move on? Well, you can, you can surmise yes, but enjoy it in the, in the short-term run and worry about that when it comes to pass. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. What happens on Avenida Revolucion stays on Avenida Revolucion. <laughs> Revolution Avenue? Yeah. Yeah, go to Google Maps and check it out. You say you want a revolution? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.